Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. However, you are joining us, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Network or any one of the free avenues on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, what have you. Uh, we thank you for joining us today. Obviously, it is a uh, a much different climate than the last time we spoke with you. Uh, certainly, there's a lot going on in the world, and and we're not going to get too deep into that. Just personally wanted to let everybody know we hope all of you are doing all right uh, under the circumstances. Hope your family's doing all right. And of course, you know, we're here to talk about the Buffalo Bills and impending free agency, everything like that. So um, in, in lieu of a lot of things canceling, uh, then we're, we're just hopeful to be somewhat of a distraction for, for a few minutes, few uh, for under an hour or something like that. So please stay safe. Everything along those lines, uh, make sure or I hope all your loved ones stay safe and, and all that good stuff. Matthew Fairburn, as always with me here on the Buffalo beat and uh, Matthew, this, this, if free agency gets going on schedule, it's, it uh, certainly could be interesting. And we actually have some stuff to talk about with the bills amidst all the, uh, all the stuff that's going on in the world today. Yeah, this is going to be a free agency period. I don't think we'll ever forget uh, because of everything that's going on and, and everything that is still up in the air. There's, we had already talked about how much the, CBA uncertainty um, was going to impact things. And now there's, um, you know, the the coronavirus and everything going on with that that's potentially going to impact that we don't know. Perhaps by the time um, you're listening to this, maybe some things have changed with the schedule. But like you said, the NFL is in, unlike all these other sports that are, you know, in their playing calendar, the NFL is in a spot in its calendar where there's some some flexibility and some um, they're in off season mode anyways. And the bills at least have been powering through uh, making some moves, uh, adjusting some contracts and they've even got a a free agent in town today. So um, it's somewhat as much as it can be business as usual for the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll kick it off with, um, one thing that they have done, actually, a couple of things that they've done since the last time we did. did were we here when Josh Norman signed, or was that earlier this week? Is that has this week been that long? That was Monday morning, I believe. My goodness! So it was this week. I, that feels like two weeks ago already, based on everything that's come. Well, because we recorded a podcast on Monday that has not yet come out, oh, that's and so right. I think that perhaps right. messed with our our brains. Yes, uh, absolutely, it did. But yes, Josh Norman. Um, I don't know if he's officially signed just yet, but agreed to terms on a one-year deal with some incentives that will come out around $6 million, uh, without the incentives for the season. And he reunites with uh, his first defensive coordinator, who is now his, uh, now his head coach, Sean McDermott. And of course, Brandon Bean was on the staff that helped draft Josh Norman in the fifth round way back when. And, uh, and it's one of those moves that crosses off a need in terms of adding competition to Levi Wallace, but uh, it doesn't necessarily cross off the overall feeling that they might still draft one of those or a defensive back period at some point uh, in April whenever the draft goes on. So I I was curious to see what Josh Norman was all about um, just on the film because if you if you look at 
anybody on social media over the past, or really during the season, everybody was talking about how washed up Josh Norman was, and and to a certain degree, fair criticism. Most of that was in man coverage, and, and that's what I was kind of curious about. In zone, he was a bit better and it looked a bit more comfortable. And that's why I think the bills are kind of taking a little bit of a, a low cost calculated risk here, thinking that they can get more out of them than Washington did last year. Yeah. I think cornerback play can be very interesting that way in that depending on the scheme and depending on how a player is used so much can change about the perception of who that player is. And it's not a position that, is even on your TV screen all the time. And so it's a weird position to evaluate in the much like in a different way, offensive line and, you know, the less obvious positions that are harder to, to pinpoint who's good and who's not. Most people out there aren't watching a tremendous amount of Josh Norman. And so you kind of, you, you see the narratives and you see what's happened over the years and think, you know, he's probably not any good anymore, which he's not as good as he was, but maybe he was never very good in the role Washington put him in anyways, you know? So uh, I think there's a chance if he was a press man corner from the second he got into the league, we might not know his name. So that's kind of the interesting, you know, part about, about his career arc. And it's why I think he's got a chance to be a decent fine it's a it's a low risk move one that doesn't you know chip into their salary cap too much it's not a long term fix uh it's a one year deal josh norman may only have a couple years left in him even as a a zone corner i mean he's 32 years old and so uh, you know to have a guy like that that's been in the system has produced in the system and and been a good player in Sean McDermott's scheme a guy that you're familiar with um, he's, you know, an interesting, fun personality, one that they, you know, like clearly like being around, uh, if, if they're bringing him in and it takes some of the pressure off to, yeah, maybe you draft a cornerback and he doesn't have to jump in from day one. Uh, maybe Levi Wallace gets to become a third or fourth corner instead of a number two, which might be a better long-term role for him anyways. All these things, mm-hmm you know, our, our best case scenarios, I think, if, if this signing works out. And if it doesn't, they didn't commit a tremendous amount of money um, to the deal to begin with. Yeah, I think the best thing going for them with this deal is, for starters, they're going to get an extremely motivated Josh Norman um, in this coming season. And that, I think, has been a little bit under-discussed because of how, uh, I guess how his reputation just tanked last year. Uh, and, you know, there, every for the first couple of weeks of the season, you saw, oh, Josh Norman gave up another touchdown. And it partially it was due to his teammates letting him down and some of the coverages and not understanding his skill set or forcing basically forcing a, a square peg into a circle hole. And it just, just wasn't going to fit. Um, and that's something that, likely won't be the case in Buffalo where the Bills understand his skill set, what's best for him, and and trying to figure out how to move on with him. And I think what will help him coming up, and this is where Washington did him a bit of a disservice, being mostly in-man coverage, but usually always on 
the top receiver of the opponent. And that's not, not going to be the case this year. I mean, I'm, I don't know. It, I guess it's going to depend on how good Josh Norman looks or how bad Josh Norman looks throughout the uh, the summer and in the preseason and everything along those lines. But for Norman, if he looks pretty, like if he looks just average and they want to shadow Tredavious White with the opponent's top receiver, then that means Josh Norman's taken on the number two wherever, uh, on whatever side he lines up. And Norman has the uh, the experience to line up both on the left and the right side, so it's not like he's one side specific. So it's that takes the pressure off of him to be the best guy on the defense. He doesn't have to be a lockdown uh, island corner guy. That's not his role. He is now just a role player in a really good defense. And that's that's what gives me some optimism that it's actually going to work. He's got those long arms. He's a really willing tackler. I mean, he's really smart when he when he turns his body and faces the quarterback and, and he and he reads things. He's very instinctive. I think those qualities are going to help him in Sean McDermott's defense again. And like you said, maybe have a a renaissance in a renaissance year for a guy. Maybe not to a to a high degree, but at least a, a bit of a um, reclamation year for him when last year it seemed like his career was basically over. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, those qualities that you mentioned that he he has and that he's always had that have been the strong points of his game aren't the qualities that go away when you get older. Uh, his limitations are, you know, he as you get older, you lose your speed and, and some of your quickness and some of that. You don't always lose your, your instincts. And uh, I think that's where there should be some optimism. And, and the matchup point is an interesting one. It reminds me of you know, like usage stats in hockey when, you know, this guy's out on the ice often against a team's top line. You have to factor that in when you're looking at his numbers. Same thing goes for Josh Norman, where he's going to get a lot more friendly matchups, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. this season as, you know, playing opposite Tredavious White. He's also going to get, in addition to friendlier matchups, he's going to get played completely differently with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer over the top. So, and not to mention just everything else that happens in the defense schematically, Uh, you know, Taron Johnson at nickel, the the coverage linebackers that they have, all of that works together in this defense. And you're less reliant on a guy's pure man-to-man cover skills, which is part of why, and it's, I don't, you know, Tredavious White's a really, really good player, but sometimes it's hard to tell how good or how, you know, he's probably going to get paid at some point as one of, if not the top cornerback in football. And there's so much zone coverage and different things that go on in this defense that it makes it hard to, um, you know, figure out. It's not to say he's not worth that. It's just, it's different. He's not Darrell Revis, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. uh, playing on that island all the time, this is a defense where the sum is greater than the parts in a lot of ways, and that that benefits a lot of these guys, and I think it will benefit Josh Norman. This is a conversation that we're going to pocket for now, but I think in an episode maybe next offseason or maybe when we get to some of the, the weaker um, weeks of, of the offseason calendar about whether or not Tredavious White and the role that he plays in that defense is worth 
all of that money and, and that type of lucrative deal because we saw how Carolina handled things with Josh Norman. So I, I wonder. It probably won't come to pass because he was their first draft pick of the entire regime, but I think it's it's worth a conversation. But at the very least, he's got a a proven, albeit a previously proven, player on the opposite side of him. And I also don't think this is a necessarily a a damning note on Levi Wallace because, you know, I, I, I do think Levi Wallace struggled at times last year, but I don't think his season was nearly as poor as some were making it out to be. And I still think that they view him as someone with potential, definitely a, a good depth corner for them and someone still that has some room to grow. And if uh, if he can learn from Josh Norman and keep keep on going, they've got him on a restricted free agent contract for, uh, or he'll be a restricted free agent after the 2020 season. So they'll still basically have his rights for 2021. I mean, he's he's someone that there is not necessarily out of their plans either. And knowing him, he's probably going to go out there and and compete for that starting job as it is. And if Josh Norman struggles, Levi Wallace will be there probably to. Um, be the starter in in 2020. It, that is, if Norman struggles, so uh, still still a lot of moving parts there. But I do wonder about that Tre'Davious White thing. Yeah, Levi Wallace has certainly positioned himself to be a part of this team long term. I, I mm-hmm. think you know he's also proven. You know they bring it. They've brought in a lot of different guys, and he's found a way to stick around and carve out a role. He's not. Again, you know, there's there's always a middle ground. Uh, he's not an elite cornerback, but he's not lousy either. He he's a he's a good player, one that they could upgrade from, and one that they should always be adding competition for. Because, I mean, first of all, injuries happen. Uh, you can't have enough good cornerbacks in the NFL with the way teams pass the football. You're in good shape if he's your number three or four corner. That that's a great spot to be in, and he was a great find. He's still developing, uh, all those things. So I think uh, certainly not not something that you know he should be overly worried about. I think they will find a way to get him on the field. He'll be very much in the mix competition wise. But yeah, I you always look to upgrade at that spot and. They also always look to get these deals done before free agency starts. These guys that get cut early just gives them a better idea of what their roster looks like, better idea of the landscape going into free agency. So uh, it's a it's a wise move that you know this time last year, and, and you know these are two different caliber players, but this time last year they signed Spencer Long, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were up in arms about you know, this better not be the answer. This better not be the only thing they do at center or the only thing they do at guard, the only thing they do on the offensive line. They better realize they need more than this, which, of course, they did. Now, I'm not saying that the Bills are going to go out and sign, you know, six more corners the way they did on the offensive line last year, but they'd never view it as a, you know, one fix type of thing that, you know, Mm -hmm. Josh Norman isn't going to fix everything and they don't view it that way. It was a chance to add somebody before free agency started before, you know, you get into free agency in the draft and he's, you know, able to, you know, now you know that you don't desperately need another one in free agency. You maybe focus elsewhere and, um, you know, add, throw another name into the mix or draft somebody, but it's not, 
you know, a situation where they're going to say, all right, we're fine. We've got Josh Norman. And the contract shows you that. They're not banking on this guy returning to all-pro form, but he also doesn't need to be an all-pro for this to be a, a successful deal. So uh, I think all of that, you know, to me makes it, you know, one of those deals where it makes plenty of sense. And uh, it's encouraging that he wants to be a part of what they're building, even though in Carolina it didn't necessarily end with him feeling overly wanted. And, you know, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean weren't the ones making those decisions, but they it would be easy to lump them in if he wanted to. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think he was – the contract suggests he was not the most sought-after guy on the market, right? I mean, yeah. if he could have gotten more money elsewhere or a multi-year deal, I'm sure he would have. But um, – the fact that he was willing to come here and, and wants to be a part of this and wants to play for McDermott and wants to play for Bean and has that respect, I think is all positive. Yeah, and it just goes to show that this regime continues to be one year prove a deal bandits. <laughs> it's 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 a yeah, priority they for find them. Great value. Yeah, they they certainly do. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out. Other times you find a guy like Quentin Spain who we'll get into. Um, but, but certainly it's, it's that it's very much a part of Brandon Bean's personality when it comes to signing free agents, because that's where you, he believes that you can find some value of some guys that maybe are afterthoughts by others because they didn't have the best season the year prior. But, um, there's a good chance that whoever they, whoever is that one of the best signings they make, and you and I have written a lot about free agency and talked a lot about it on here and thrown out a lot of names. And I wrote something today of bargain guys that they could go after. And I I mentioned five names because what got me, and some of them are names people will recognize. Some of them are, a couple of them are probably not. And I did five because frankly, trying to expand that list, it's a lot of, you know, forecasting. I guess my point is last year, you know, what what gave me the idea and what made me think of it is exactly what you're talking about. These one year prove it deals. Now, one for Josh Norman or Vontae Davis or even Spencer Long was a relatively known name. And, you know, Christian Kirksey just hit the market and is visiting these guys that get cut. Those are one thing because those are a little bit more obvious when they get cut. They're out there. Mm -hmm. They're on the market and everybody's focused on does this guy fit? But John Feliciano and Quentin Spain were arguably, if you had to rank the top five, even top three free agent additions last year, those guys might be in the top three, two of the top three or two of the top four. And and, and that's not just on a per dollar basis. That's just on how they played. You know what I mean? And John Brown was great. Cole Beasley had his moments, you know, they made some good signings last year and they made a lot of them. They made what, 19, 17, 19 signings, something like that, depending on when you draw the cutoff. My point is even with all these names we've thrown out, even with the ones I tried to throw out in this, this article of trying to find guys of like, who was a backup that needs a chance at being a starter, who was injured that, um, you know, needs a chance to, to have a one year prove it deal. Mm-hmm. the odds are somebody that we don't mention will get signed by the bills and have a pretty good year Yeah, because it happens a lot. You know, we weren't thinking necessarily Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde a couple of years ago and they signed pretty healthy deals, 
But point being that this staff and the good ones in the NFL look for value, and that's how you find it. You find a guy that's either coming off injury and has something to prove. You find a guy that's been a backup and needs a chance to start. A guy that's playing one position and maybe would fit in your defense in another position. Mm-hmm. All of those things can create some some interesting value. They're really hard guys to identify because we're not, you know, pro personnel departments, you know, that have been scouting guys since last preseason. But um, there is there are so many names out there like that and there are that's probably the better way to play free agency to then to you know tee it up and take a swing at the Yannick and Gakways of the world absolutely I mean I've I've got a few ideas of my own and by the way if you want to check out that piece coming down from Matthew Fairburn probably sometime on Friday um, or even the um, the why the film shows Josh Norman has more to give with the bills piece that I wrote uh, earlier in the week. In addition to all the other stuff, you can head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo beat and get yourself a 40% off a yearly subscription. Again, that's theathletic.com slash the Buffalo beat. Um, I, I have a name that kind of fits into that category that, that that's what you're talking about, Matthew. And um, he's someone I, basically wrote about in um i've got another piece coming out i've been doing a, a film series all week identifying free agents that would best fit the bills and uh, i've got one coming out on linebackers and I, I don't know if he's on your list if if he is that's that's pretty funny but the guy that i absolutely love for their defense is Kamalai correa from the titans um he's he's just someone that i think has all of this immense potential and he's been in the wrong position. Um, he's been mostly an edge defender, but he can also show he has the athleticism to drop back into coverage. And, uh, and, and certainly, you know, he's very fluid athletically. I mean, there were times in that divisional game against Baltimore where he was, um, he, he had to square his shoulders and go one-on-one against Lamar Jackson. And he was so athletic that he, forced Lamar Jackson to take a wide approach and and allowed his teammates to come up come up there and get him so he's someone that is certainly intriguing and was maybe in a different role and wasn't a full-time player last year developed into kind of an important piece for them and um yeah he's he's someone that's that's going to be coming down the uh the pipeline in that article for me was he on your list I'm very curious now I went back and forth between him and another guy we've talked about, and okay. I ended up putting Kyler Fackrell on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what same I figured. type of deal. Got yep. pushed into the background and had a a different role with the Packers last year, but special teams guy. You know, can you know had a ten and a half sack season two yep. years ago. Um, he fits that, and and you know I think Correa does as well. He was another one I was looking at it, the. The funny part of this, and I mentioned it a few times in the article, is just there's a chance, you know, again, I, I, don't, I don't know what the market's going to look like. I can't tell you exactly what a guy's going to get necessarily. And so there's a chance a guy who I say, oh, this guy could be a bargain, ends up breaking the bank. You never know. Right. Um, because exactly. teams do weird things. So that's why I was trying to dig as deep as possible. But um, those are the types of guys that I think make sense because I don't think they're Brandon Bean has said over and over they're not going to spend in the deep end of the pool. Mm. They didn't do that much last year either. Um, Even though they went on such a spending spree, it was Mitch Morse. Um, The year before, it was 
it was star. So they, they haven't done it a whole lot. Um, that middle tier though, can get expensive too. And they're very cognizant of the fact that they've got a lot of contracts coming up and potentially a big one, um, for Josh Allen, uh, if, if he continues going, uh, the way they hope that he does. So, how they structure the deals and the types of players they look for. Even think of Trent Murphy when they signed him. And I know, you know, it hasn't worked out probably the way he or they hoped it would, or a lot of fans at least, but that was a guy coming off injury, probably signed for less than he would have if he hit free agency Mm -hmm. the year before. So um, Tyler Croft is another one of these. Yes. Coming off injury got paid, you know, they didn't pay him nothing, but he was coming off injury and, um, you know, there's that factor. You look at guys that they've had in a guy I mentioned is Ezekiel Ansah. Um, didn't have, was injured with almost every injury you can have last year and didn't have mm-hmm. a great year for Seattle. So maybe that means he comes even cheaper than the one year, $9 million deal he got last year, you know, like, and they've done that before where they've circled back on players, right. Where they've shown interest one year, didn't work out. They circle back and, you know, get them at a sometimes cheaper price tag. Sometimes in John Brown's case, it's a multi-year deal, but uh, it's, I like when we get to this, well, this is the only time it's really happened. uh, I feel like since I've been covering the bills where we're at a point where we can start to understand some of the behavior and decision-making patterns Mm -hmm. of the guys in charge, whether that's the draft or the, or the, or in free agency tendencies in terms of, what types of players and who they like to give deals to tendencies in terms of what body types or skill sets they look for at particular positions. It's coming into more focus now um, with each passing year. And um, hopefully it helps us make better guesses or maybe a week from now we're sitting here getting to know a bunch of names that we hadn't thought about getting to know. And And sometimes, like I said, those can be the best signings because I would love for somebody to find, uh, somebody last spring that was talking about how the Bills absolutely needed to sign John Feliciano. Because mm, if he did say right. that, then you're pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because exactly. he's, uh, he turned out to be pretty good. It's making us dig deeper to go for the Joe Hags, Kamalai Correa, and uh, and Kyler Fackrells of the world. That's, that's for sure. Um, we will uh, get into the Quentin Spain potential re-signing in just a moment. But first a message from a couple of our sponsors. First, DoorDash. Delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. DoorDash brings all of America's flavors to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 310,000 restaurant partners in 4,000 cities, so you might find a new favorite as well. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. With DoorDash, you never have to worry about your next meal. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of 15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BUFFALO. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BUFFALO. Don't forget, that's code BUFFALO for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. 
And now a message from the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in his frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Quote, go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. Quote, we felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent... You won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code BILLS. That's theblacktux.com, code BILLS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, so let's get into this Quentin Spain deal because... The Bills were, I think they wanted to get a feel for the market before they really went in to to go into re-signing Quentin Spain. Certainly, they they wanted to keep it on the back burner, but a part of the free agency stratosphere is about figuring out how the rest of the market is going to go, and a lot of that stuff gets uncovered once you go to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine, which is where the Bills were just a matter of two weeks ago. So... Upon doing so, either A, they found out that the guard market is going to be pretty extreme, or B, Quentin Spain found out that his market wasn't going to be all that great, and those two sides kind of found a way to get a deal done. Now, the the basis of the contract, as it's been reported so far, is a three-year commitment worth $15 million, which when you look at it from from the uh, very simple standpoint, it's $5 million average valuation per season. But I'm very curious to see what it looks like when the contract details actually come out because there are usually little nooks and crannies in NFL contracts that make it seem way less of a commitment than it actually is. And I would not be surprised in the slightest if the Bills did that with Quentin Spain's deal, because although he was solid last year, he wasn't great by any means. He was was above average to good last season, and he'll be 29 before the year begins uh, when uh, when the conclusion of the contract, his final year of the contract, he'll be 31 years old, and as a guard only, I would have to think that they put some sort of um, timeline in there for them to get out from under it whenever they whenever they please for a for a minimal dead cap hit. So I I mean the the re-signing is a good one because he is a starting caliber offensive guard and even if it's 5 million each year that's still a good value for a starting guard. The the only thing that is somewhat troublesome is the fact that they're doubling down on Cody Ford. And if the, now it's at the point where all right, if he is going to be a tackle and you think he's best as a tackle, 
it's time to go out and prove that he can do that because last year he did not prove that. Yeah, this is an interesting re-signing. In fact, I thought at the beginning of the offseason, Quentin Spain should be a guy that they should want back. And uh, as it kind of creeped along, there were questions about whether um, they would get him back or whether they wanted him back. And to get a deal done like this, it's knowing Brandon Bean and how he structures contracts, probably not a full three-year commitment. Yeah. Um, as hardly any contracts in the NFL most times, if you get a three-year deal, it's probably not a full three-year commitment. Um, but like you said, even if it's $5 million a year, that pays him very close to the – it's a below-average guard contract. It's not, it doesn't put him in the upper tier of guards. He's not being paid as a, as a star here. He's probably getting paid as a starter, though, like you mentioned. And mm-hmm. I don't think it means that Cody Ford is a tackle forever, but I think – it could mean that they're leaning towards having him be a tackle for now, um, at least in 2020. There's a lot of weird little wrinkles to the offensive line. I don't. Deion Dawkins is the left tackle mm-hmm. going forward, now and going forward. That much we know. Outside of that, I don't know how much we know long term. I think we can say that Mitch Morris is the center in 2020. I. You know, don't see any way they wiggle out of that deal. Um, but long, long term, uh, there are a lot of things at play here. I think Quentin Spain, it, getting him back at that price tag is a good start to, you know, giving yourself some flexibility this offseason. They, pro- they might not be done adding to the offensive line. I, I still think offensive tackle is probably in play for the first round. Um, but, you know, John Feliciano is coming off injury and hopefully is is back to where he was because he was a good player. I just don't think they're done being aggressive there um, and standing pat. And I don't think Quentin Spain is getting paid quite enough to think that long-term they're they're feeling good necessarily about all the pieces there. It's going to be interesting. I think the offensive line has been, we've talked about it plenty. I think it's one of the most interesting aspects of their off season in terms of how they decide to, you know, fit the puzzle pieces together. It, there'd be some benefit to having the whole group back intact, but the whole group as it was constructed, wasn't good enough last year. So you know, there's some questions there about what that means and how how you have to reorganize things. And Cody Ford is obviously a huge piece of that. Well, let's just um, let's just spitball here, and this might be a stupid question, or maybe it's not. The uh, when the Bills signed Spencer Long last year, it was a three year, almost thirteen million dollar commitment, and they brought him in and had him compete for a starting job, and he didn't win one. But they still kept him around, and they're keeping him around again this year. My maybe stupid question, maybe it's not. Is Quentin Spain guaranteed to be a starter this coming season? Because I don't know that that contract necessarily says that he is a starter in 2020. I don't. It, it, if, if they would have been really committed to him, then it would have been a, a big-time, big-time deal. But the fact that it's just a shade above what uh, Spencer Long signed for, 
I don't know, man. This is, I think that's uh, a little telling that maybe they're just more invested in a competition. And maybe like you pointed out, maybe this isn't a strong signal that Cody Ford is a uh, is right tackle next year. Maybe the whole thing is just in flux and they're going to try and figure out their best five, but they wanted to give, give themselves some camaraderie along the way. But I don't know that a guy that three years, 15 million, is anything different than three years, 13 million last year, right? Am I wrong here? No. It, and I guess, again, we got to see how it's structured, right? Because the way exactly. Spencer Long's contract was structured was that they could have gotten out of it if they wanted to after this year. And they chose not to, which was kind of interesting. Um, and they're keeping him around. They they value depth and competition along the offensive line, big time. And I think they also know that it wasn't good enough last year. So when you put all that together, no, Quentin Spain is not guaranteed a starting spot. And really outside of Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morris, I don't know who is. And when you look at how you have to you know, long-term plan about this offensive line. I, I mentioned Mitch Morse because, uh, yes, he's going to be the starting center in 2020 and probably in 2021 as well, where, you know, they can... But the contract is such where 2022 is the final year of his deal. And depending on how he plays, if he's w- still worth it, then, you know, they'll keep him around. They'd like to, you know, he'll only be 29 years old and you can you know, still count on him to be there. But let's not forget the concussion problems he had uh, Mm -hmm. last summer and, you know, the concussion problems he's had throughout his career. It's a real thing. And after the 2021 season, uh, they would save eight and a half million on the cap um, and only have 2.75 in dead cap. So John Feliciano has a history at center too. Um, You know, there's a lot of these moving pieces up front have flexibility. And so... I think there's going to be Bobby Johnson is going to have his hands full a little bit in the spring and summer in terms of figuring out how all these pieces fit together, because I don't think they're done adding to the offensive line. And I don't think anybody up front outside of Deion Dawkins or Mitch Morris should feel safe. Maybe Cody Ford, just because he was a second round pick. But I think, like you said, if they're being brutally honest about him and they strip away the draft position, then they should you know, make him compete and make him earn that right tackle spot. And if he can't, then make him earn another spot inside. And I think, um, I don't know, I I think this offensive line is going to be really, really fun to watch because I think another piece or two is coming up front. And depending on who it is, the caliber of player, uh, some of these guys that maybe are presumed starters aren't. And that's a good thing. Again, kind of like, you know, with we talk about with Levi Wallace, if you can push Quentin Spain to the bench, that's a good problem to have. Uh, it's better than years past where one injury made the entire line fall apart because they had no depth. Uh, having Quentin Spain as depth is, is certainly good. And a $15 million contract over three years, um, it's expensive it's a for a backup, it's, but yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily outrageous for a backup either. So... I don't know. It'll be, it's still a position to watch, I think. But the Quentin Spain resigning gives a little bit of a a twist to how it makes it less obvious to say, oh, just throw Cody Ford at left guard or throw Feliciano at left guard and throw Ford at right guard. I mean, um, they've got some decisions to make still, but that was the first, first one. And 
how it impacts the rest of it. I don't know if it's drastic. Like you said, I don't think that contract drastically alters what they're doing because Mm -hmm. when they talked about having an idea of where Cody Ford was best, but they wanted to see how things played out in the off season. I don't think they were talking about Quentin Spain. No, absolutely not. Um, and there's also these two little factors to the to the conversation that we have to throw in. I mean, Spencer Long, while yes, they they brought him back for 2020, he has a dead cap of $700,000. So they could save $3.425 million on the cap by cutting him. So they're not they're not absolutely committed to keeping him on the roster this season. They just wanted to give themselves the option heading into camp because that dead cap for NFL purposes is minimal. So when you have uh, when when you have all of the moving parts that you have on the offensive line, like let's say they go out and they draft an offensive tackle at some point in the first three rounds, whether it be a developmental guy or someone that you can plug a play and, and put him at right tackle right away, then what do you do with Cody Ford? You, maybe you have him compete with that guy, or maybe you have him compete with Quentin Spain for a starting role. I think what they're just doing is making sure that they have all their ducks in a row for any situation. I think what hurt Quentin Spain here was the fact that he only plays guard and there is no versatility to his game whatsoever. And I think that probably hurts him within the organization as well. However, I mean, he was good enough to be their starter all the way through last season. And that can't be sneezed at by by any stretch of the imagination. But it also gives them the flexibility to where they don't have to put Cody Ford at guard. They can continue to give themselves more time to figure this whole thing out, and they have the flexibility to get out from not only Spencer Long's contract and save almost $3.5 million, but also Ty Insecki's deal, who only has a dead cap of one point five, so they would save $3.7 million on, on the 2020 salary cap. So there are a, a couple of a couple of contracts that they can walk away from easily ahead of the season and still keep their cap in order going into the 2021 season. And it, it just it just all depends on how things play out. So I think I've talked myself out of this uh, this meaning that Cody Ford is a tackle. I, that, that's why this is a good, good exercise. Um, I, I still think these things are kind of just to be determined. I mean, what, what happens with John Feliciano? Or maybe they, they put Cody Ford at right tackle and they see how John Feliciano plays this year at right guard because Feliciano's play kind of dipped after the first four weeks of the season last year. Um, and, and he was, I think for me, outside of Cody Ford, he was the worst graded offensive lineman. Um, I'd have to double check, but I think I had him around somewhere like 2.5 five six or two point five seven on the GPA scale. Um and Ford was around a two point two three, I think, last year. But who's to say that Feliciano is long for his job? Maybe they want to see one more season with Cody Ford and then slide him inside to right guard if it doesn't improve this season for the final two years of his deal to see if he could be a full-time starting guard and a potential solution down the line for them. So lots of moving pieces. And I refuse now, after talking it out with you, Matthew, to sit here and say with any sort of confidence what their plan is at the offensive line outside of Mitch Morse playing center and Deion Dawkins playing at left tackle. Yeah, I think those are the only two things that are still set in stone. And I think, too, the when I I wrote that story last week about what it would take to move inside 
from tackle to guard and what that transition Which was great, by the like. way. If you haven't read it, do it. Uh, thank you. There was a lot of people that <laughs> – I had a couple people that were like, this doesn't answer the question of whether he should, which wasn't really my intent. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. – um, trying to determine one way or another whether this guy's a tackle or a guard. It's, you know, um, somebody that gets paid more than me makes that call. But more so, I was thinking, like, how hard is this? Is this something that every guy can do? Is And what goes into that transition? And when I got done, I one of the thoughts of many that I had, um, including the fact that Rick Trickett is just fabulously colorful. Is he the one that said this, is, this gets my piss hot? He did, and the quote didn't make it in because it just didn't really fit. But he was like, you're getting my piss hot today now. And I was like, yeah, sorry, Rick. My bad. He also uh, was just throwing the F word out every every other sentence that we had to kind of – I think a few of them made it in there, but but we worked around. His you know big thing was like, just get the five guys out there, quit with the politics of where this guy was drafted. That's what started getting him all pissed off was mm. like – who cares where this guy's drafted? Who cares about egos and feelings and all that? Throw the five guys out there that are the best and do what's best for the team. And But the other part of it, um, and it's an interesting thing to consider, is the more drastic move for Cody Ford might be going from right tackle to left guard. Yeah. Like that might be more jarring than going from right tackle to right guard in some ways for him. And he's played he's played guard before, so some of the technique won't be completely new, but going it's not always easy to go from one side to the other and not everybody can do that. And so mm-hmm. you know, the thought all along was oh, Quentin Spain leaves, go from right tackle, throw him at left guard. Well, maybe you don't. You know, maybe it's move him to right guard and you don't necessarily want to move two guys, but um, you know, and, and Feliciano can, can move around. I don't know. I, I still think I'm with you. There's a lot of moving pieces and there's going to be a lot of competition because it does not seem that, um, Sean McDermott was thrilled with the offensive line last year. Right. I think he likes the direction it went in, but I don't think he was satisfied. And I, I think we've talked about it before the, the line made a big jump, but, where they were jumping from was a really bad place. Exactly. 2018's line was awful. And 2019 was better, um, much better, but still below average uh, around the league by most metrics that, that you look at. So I would say I'm all for, you know, more competition. And, you know, if that means a high draft pick, so be it. And if it means that, you know, Cody Ford's feelings are hurt, then you get a pissed off Cody Ford. And that's not a bad thing. Um, same goes for any of those guys up there other than the guys who, I mean, D- Mitch Morris makes so much money that, I mean, he better be starting for you. Um, and he played well last year. I don't think yeah, he played yeah, he did. best center in the league level at all times, but he played well. And Deion Dawkins had a great year. So outside of those two, I think you you have to kind of do what you did last year, move a lot of pieces around. That was another thing a few of those offensive line coaches mentioned is uh, Rick Trick is saying he'll take he'll run an offensive line drill and then he'll do the same drill over again with everybody at a different spot mm-hmm. and throwing some guys out of their comfort zone, cross training guys. The Patriots do a lot of that. Um, of Bobby Johnson did know, a lot of that last training camp, and I think it's a good thing. 
And I think it helped the offensive line last year when they needed some guys to move around at different times when Mitch Morse was out for extended periods of time. It's a good thing. Um, and I think the more talent you have, the better. And I think they're in a pretty good spot as far as depth, but the top end talent could probably be improved at a few spots. There are a few things you you brought up there that I that I wanted to wanted to get into, but what you just mentioned most recently, like having guys ready to play, like that's that's a good idea. What Bobby Johnson did last year in the training camp, and certainly what uh, Trickett is insinuating that he would do with with his guys when when he was coaching. Um, but uh, there is there is a, a line where you have to kind of cut it a little bit, like last. Last year, I'll give you the Detroit Lions for an example. Um, I was going and watching Graham Glasgow for uh, for the film series that I was doing this past week, who was their right guard last year. But the the thing about him is you would notice and look at the snap counts and say, okay, he didn't take 100% in almost all of the games he was in. Why is that? Well, it's because the Lions, for some reason, were hell-bent on keeping their their first reserve lineman warm during a game. So they would give him a series at right guard and a series at left guard in the first half and the second half just to make sure the they, Patriots they were going. Weren't the Patriots doing that at some point? It's, it's the Patriots really, had like a weird rotation going it's one really year. It was a weird. few years ago. Um, and that might be like where Matt Patricia picked up on it. And some of that can be useful some of it can be a little yes. weird the bills had the bills had a rotation going last year yeah and- they did but that was different because they were dealing with a rookie this one was just like okay why are you taking out graham glasgow who is one of the better guards in the league and putting in oh god i can't even remember the guy's name but it was some journeyman veteran that um that came in for four series a game and it's like what what the what are you trying to accomplish here why why are you actively yeah, making odd. yourself worse it's just it was weird. But that that's that was a that was a random aside that I had. The other thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, the whole left guard versus right guard thing. I, I'm sure at least a few people probably scoffed at it. And I'm sure at one point in time I probably scoffed at that too. But in talking to some players over the years about, you know, just not even guard. How about any position that has both a left and a right? Like I remember specifically talking to Dion Dawkins and Shaq Lawson about this, maybe two, three years ago uh, about the idea of playing the left side versus the right side. And both of those guys were like, yeah, it's a, it's different muscle memory. I mean, there is, there is a bit of difference to this because, you know, Shaq Lawson was kind of thrown off a little bit when the first time they asked him to rush from the left side of the defense, because his entire life, he's been rushing from the right end spot and there is a certain degree of a learning curve there because you're using the different the opposite leg than you're than you're used to or the opposite arm and there's a different way to approach it and all of these all of these different things that are kind of taken for granted from guys that aren't in the minutia of it all like us for instance and and everyone that's out there that hasn't played a left guard right guard left tackle right tackle left defensive end right defensive end there's there's a little bit of a learning curve there so uh i certainly think that uh that you you could be on to something there and it, it's not necessarily something that cody ford couldn't do over time but i do think there would be a bit of an, an adjustment period there yeah, some guys can do it better than others. And the point C.J. Davis made, he works at LaCharles Bentley's offensive line performance. Um, LaCharles Bentley's the old Saints center who and 
he might've played somewhere else too. He was really, really good. Um, and opened up sort of an offensive line training center and CJ Davis works there. He played in the league. And one of the things he mentioned that I hadn't really thought of, but it makes sense. And this is kind of, um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this in a weird way is that not the reason not everybody can do it or that it, you'd really need to cross train it. And they do that out there is to, they'll take, even if a guy's a left tackle making $15 million a year, they'll train him on the right side mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, brushing your teeth with your off hand. Um, if you're doing something with your off hand, and doing it on the offside, when you come back to the other side, you feel more at home. You feel better on the left side than you did before because your body is more appreciative of those steps. And the other thing is like from a, you know, just body standpoint, you might not be as flexible on one side as you are the other. Absolutely Um, right. I bet if a lot of people did um, mobility drills and, different things like that, you would notice. I know I know this about myself, and I don't really know why or how it happened, but one hip is more, opens up easier than the other hip does. And Same thing here. And so if you're a right guard and you're used to having a certain, you know, level of, you know, being able to open up and take that step back and, you know, feeling a certain comfort, and then you go to the other side and you don't have that same range of motion, it all of a sudden it throws off every different part of your technique. So it's, that's where some guys can do it. Some guys, that's not a problem. You know, they're as flexible on one side as they are on the other. They're as comfortable, you know, your steps are different. You know, it's CJ Davis even mentioned that he, cause he was one of those guys who got asked to move. You know, I think I'm trying to remember and I'd have to read it was, I think he was more comfortable at right guard than left guard. I can't remember which one it was, Um, but he was asked to play the opposite early in his career. And he said, the other thing he did was, and his coach yelled at him and made him switch was he would have a certain hand in the ground because he was used to that in his stance, but you got to put the other hand in the ground when you're on the other side. And, you know, there's differing opinions from offensive line coaches. Rick Trickett said he used to tell guys to just put whatever hand they're comfortable with because it's not worth messing with. But there is a certain efficiency uh, that you need to get used to. Simply having your hand in the ground is something Cody mm-hmm. Ford will have to get used to because not a lot of tackles uh, do that these days. But yeah, there's there's some intricacies that go into it beyond just, it's not you know Madden where you can put a guy wherever you want. Um, there are little things that, that need to take place. There's assignments that need to be learned, things like that, but they have plenty of time to do all that. And that's where the cross training comes in handy because frankly, you only have what, seven active offensive linemen on game days. You could have eight, so, but that's, it just all sometimes depends on what eight. you want. But if Quentin Spain goes down or if, you know, both tackles go down, somebody's got to go out there and do it right. Or, you know, if a couple guys get hurt and you need to reshuffle the offensive line, namely probably the the main pivot point is if Mitch Morse gets hurt, because then you're filling two spots because Feliciano is going over and somebody's got to go to guard. And then you might be filling three spots if it's Cody Ford that goes to guard and Seki comes into tackle, you know, so guys need to know a lot of different things. And it's, it can be tricky, um, trickier than it looks and trickier than uh, my favorite quote from Rick Trickett that didn't get in there was, um, 
I'd have to pull it up. It was something along the lines of, you know, uh, you could have a guy at tackle for the first series and then move him into guard and nobody's going to notice the difference anyway. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. they should just, if they're so worried about the optics, put Cody Ford at guard for a series and then kick him inside and 80% of fans might not know the difference. I don't know if that's the case here, but there's probably, probably not for our listeners. I think every one of our listeners would know the difference. I think a lot of people watching wouldn't know if you didn't tell them who who was playing where it's the nature of offensive line is the uh anonymity that comes with it but uh mm. I so they t- hope I, yeah in in the best situations that's what you want is nobody to know who you are because that means you haven't been beat constantly but yes it's a fun position to to watch and think about and see how the puzzle pieces fit together because it is in it's an interesting group and it is a group and there's a lot of communication and interpersonal relationships that need to be in sync for the the unit to play at its best. Didn't think this was going to happen with a Quentin Spain signs a nice three or $15 million deal and we get deep into the weeds of offensive line play, but Hey, I was going to say like, we just, we just ripped off 30 minutes on offensive line play in theory. How about that? How do you, how do you like us now? Uh, Buffalo beat listeners. Uh, one final point I'll make about the offensive line because it's something I forgot about that you mentioned previously that I thought was an important point was how much McDermott wanted the offensive line to improve and to protect their quarterback better. Um, it would be somewhat, somewhat of a shock if they just ran it back with the same five last year and no further additions to their depth even to to create more competition next year, uh, especially when McDermott clearly wasn't all that thrilled because when he was asked about, I know I brought this up before on the podcast, but when he was asked about adding playmakers, he made it a point to bring up the offensive line too. And it's like, okay, well, Quinton Spain was a part of that offensive line last year, as was Cody Ford, as was John Feliciano. So... I mean, they can't start everybody if if they bring in another piece, and it seems like McDermott is wanting of another piece. So, you know, I just I, I think that was an important point. And even with the Quentin Spain signing, um, McDermott was still. I mean, McDermott was critical of their play last year, regardless of the Quentin Spain signing. So um, that's a uh, that is at least something to monitor as we go forward. And a fun fact for everybody um, outside of the offensive line play. Brought up Kyler Fackrell, who you uh, wrote about in your in your bargains um, piece that'll pop up on the Athletic today. Uh, Kyler Fackrell is also um, a part of my my film study on linebackers, and three of his sacks in the ten and a half sack season came against the Buffalo Bills in Week Four of the 2018 season. Two of them came on the last three plays of uh, of that game, where Josh Allen was just kind of running around trying trying to make a play. But yes, three of those, ten and a half against the Bills. So maybe, just maybe, the Bills remembered that. And here's the thing, craw. as we're on uh on the topic of free agency in the offensive line, the Lions are releasing right tackle Rick Wagner. Ooh, yes, very much so. And they had interest, or at least McDermott did, um back in twenty seventeen. Yes, that first off season that was one of the the big ticket items they went after was Rick mm-hmm. Wagner. So um, maybe he's one of those bargains we talked about. Who knows? There's a lot of activity happening here. Uh, a lot of yeah. guys. Xavier Rhodes cut. got released as well. Yeah, there's things are happening. Cordy Glenn got released. 
I don't think former he's uh, former Bills offensive tackle. I don't think he's coming back, but speaks to pretty good trade by the Bills. Yeah, uh, he did not do much for for Cincinnati, and they were not they were not thrilled with the investment. But yeah. helped the Bills move up and get Josh Allen. So yep. not bad. And yeah, yeah, Rick Wagner is going to be a name to watch. That's an interesting one. I wasn't sure if he was going to be a cap casualty or not, but. Um, and I'm not sure how he's played uh, the last couple of years. You were watching some Graham Glasgow. I didn't know if uh, if Rick I, Wagner stood out at all. I also watched uh, Fackrell against the Lions too. So I, I recall him doing fairly decent, but I wasn't there to watch him. So it's hard to be like, oh yeah, just just great. I mean, usually. You want your hyper focus, especially when I'm trying to do a specialized thing on linebackers and edge rushers and all that. To you know, just focus on the edge rusher as opposed to who's opposing him and how and the specific things that guy does. But I remember him being fairly decent. But either way, the Bills had interest before, and secondarily, he wouldn't count against the comp pick formula. And so let's say the Bills could get away with doing all of their free agent bidding. On guys that were released, could they try to do that? Maybe. What's going to happen with Shaq Lawson? We don't know. Shaq Lawson likes to tease everybody with social media posts, but that's all we know there. Jordan Phillips wants to get paid. We know that. Kevin Johnson, probably not going to be back. Yeah, they would need those three to all be gone, uh, especially bringing back Quentin Spain. Um, In terms of really factoring into the comp pick formula. Also, we don't know what the comp pick formula is going to be. Uh, might be different by the end of the weekend if the new CBA comes to pass. I'm not sure what uh, the comp pick deal is there. The comp pick formula yeah. is pretty lousy for the players, uh, for veterans oh, in particular. Completely. I mean, it's like <laughs> actively encouraging teams to not re-sign their own. So um, not great, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. The NFL also, while we were recording, canceled pre-draft visits. Uh, teams are no longer allowed to have pre-draft host prospects on pre-draft visits. I don't know what that's going to mean for um, free agents and their visits, but interesting that would stand to reason that if you're not allowed to have a prospect in for a visit, um, it might be different on a, on a free agent because he's only going to one place as opposed to these prospects who are bouncing from city to city. But Still a lot up in the air here. Um, a lot of moving parts. A lot of the NFL just does not stop. <laughs> there is still mm-hmm. all this news going on. Saw Rashad Jones got released. Uh, we didn't even touch on Tyler Croft restructured his contract. So Delaney things, Walker just got released by the Titans as well. Things are all all happening here. Yep, amidst all of the craziness across the world too. So. If free agency um, gets uh, gets going as scheduled right now, which is as of Friday at 3.14 p.m., then, of course, we will have you covered all the way. Again, if you haven't yet uh, checked out either Matthew Fairburn's pieces on the um, uh, one on Cody Ford and you know what it would take to move into guard um, or his, his bargain shopping list, uh, or any of my uh, my film pieces from the week detailing some of the, uh, the the guys out there that would certainly fit what the Bills are trying to accomplish in free agency, uh, both 
financially and schematically. You can find all of that at theathletic.com. And uh, for 40% off, go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat if you are not yet a subscriber. All right, Matthew, it's time for some send-off words. What do you, what do you got for me today? Well, I had a suggestion from somebody um, to both tie in, and I just remembered this. I should have uh, written it down. Um, I was on the... That's not our style. I was on the Circling the Wagons podcast, um, which this one will probably come out before that one. But he said that I should incorporate Blaine Gabbert into my sign-off and say, much like... Blaine Gabbert's career at all of his stops, really. We are, we're out, we're done. (laughs) And I thought, you know, sure, I'll give it a try. And so now we've, we've started a new Blaine Gabbert streak, which is, I think what we all need. Uh, I think we needed to get back to, to some normalcy on this podcast and Blaine Gabbert helps us do that. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see if it continues next week. (laughs) <laughs> if you remember. Is <laughs> he a free I am, agent? Am... He'll probably get cut at some point between now and, and our next podcast, but I'm glad to have have the streak alive. <laughs> the streak is at one. Or maybe two. I don't remember if we, we talked about him last week. We probably did, knowing, knowing us. All right. Well, the Blaine Gabbert streak is current. How about that? All right. So uh, that's going to do it for us on this week's episode. We will speak with you next week. Um, if, well, we'll speak with you either way, but if, and we'll have something to talk about if free agency gets rolling and we'll figure out exactly what the Bills are trying to do, maybe what they've done by that point in time, and all of that good stuff. And again, uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I hope um, everyone out there, all of our listeners, all of their extended family, they are, they are safe, they're feeling healthy, and everything along those lines. And uh, we are. We are thinking about all of you as uh, as we all go through this time together. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Pascalia. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you next week. See you then.